hey, I want to add my welcome to you this morning that Bronte has, has given to you. And I think Josh has given us a, just a great lead in to this passage. So, so let's, let's pray and, uh, and we'll get into it. Uh, yeah. Our loving Father, our prayer this morning is that the Spirit of God would speak truth to us, uh, to our hearts, from your word that you have for us here in, in John's Gospel, that you would um, deepen our joy and our understanding of Jesus, that we might have new life in him, uh, that we would too, like Nicodemus, think about our need for Jesus and just the profound offer that's on the table in this passage. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures uh, forever. Just one of the, uh, I was so impressed with what Josh had to say, I kind of forgot my own little intro. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus in this conversation with all these presuppositions, with all these uh, thought out ideas of who Jesus is, of what Jesus can be, how he can incorporate Jesus into his own religious worldview, how he can uh, fit Jesus into uh, what he thinks of the world. And when he gets there, Jesus just blows that all up, just blows it all apart and totally reorientates uh, everything uh, that this learned man, this esteemed teacher thought about how to relate with God and, and how to be. Essentially, Jesus outlines how it is that we, how we become Christians. So that's what we're, we're bumping into in this passage. Now, just for drama and theatrics, let's start this story off with a way I've always wanted to start a, a message. It was a dark and stormy night. Perhaps it was, perhaps the wind buffeted at the windows and the doors of the home of a prominent and esteemed elderly man by the name of Nicodemus. John's Gospel tells us that this this man, Nicodemus, is a Pharisee, a member of a sect of Jewish people who have dedicated their lives to maintaining a a strict practice of life, a strict way of life that enshrines and lives out and demonstrates the precepts of Jewish law. These, these Pharisees are the guardians of the law, they're the interpreters of the re- religious law and they were the culture shapers. Uh, they were the people who everyone looked up to as, oh, if we could live uh, like those Pharisees. They longed and expected a time when God would bring them a Messiah and all, their, and all their good works was just making sure they were ready for when this Messiah turned up. A, a God-appointed ruler who would lead them uh, in their endeavour uh, in religious and political and social reform. This, this, this leader would be a reformer and he would come and he would just help them transform all the environments that made being a Jew, that made being a Pharisee hard work. It would come and establish God's way of life on earth and it would be a blessing to those who had the right heritage, who had the right practice in place. That was what they longed for. That was the promise that they lived for and it would sweep aside all other cultures, all other earthly usurpers. John also tells us, that this man Nicodemus is not just a Pharisee, but he's also the, ru- the ruler of the Jews. That is, he is a member of a group of people known as the Sanhedrin. 70 or maybe 72, depending on things. 70 elite uh, political religious scholars 
who pretty much get together and determine how to interpret the law and determine how uh, every Jew should live life uh, in view of that. Added to this information about Nicodemus is Jesus' own accreditation of Jesus of Nicodemus that we find in verse 10. You are the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus is Israel's great scholar, the best of the best, morally, intellectually, religiously, socially. He is outstripping all his contemporaries. He stands peerless at the top of Israel's religious culture. And tonight in his home, men are gathered and a storm of a non-meteorological kind is brewing inside the house. The wind, the dark stormy night outside, the conversation inside is, who is this Jesus? Who seems to be, from what they can gather, uh, undeniably anointed by God. God's hand is on everything that this Jesus does. How else could he do the things, the signs, the wonders that he has been doing around the place unless he is from God? And maybe the conversation, you know, lads, could, could he be? Could, could he be a Messiah? Have we found? Has our great teacher turned up? Our great social reformer, our great political leader, our great religious reformer who's going to reform this world? Is he here? Well, it's a question that's far too important for any run-of-the-mill Sanhedrinite to go and, and inquire with Jesus. So our curious, wise old man Nicodemus rugs up and heads out into the night to find Jesus to ply him with an interrogation that should determine if Jesus fits the categories of Messiah. And maybe, maybe if he does, maybe an alliance, maybe a political deal, maybe they could invite this rising figure, Jesus, to join their little club, their little sect and help them shift the power base from from Rome to Israel to help them lead moral and and religious and and cultural takeovers, to help them achieve their idea of a society that God would approve of, in which they can receive God's blessing, in which they can be special people of God. It's a speculative backstory, but something brings Nicodemus to Jesus on behalf of this council. John tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night with the well-considered verdict of the council. We, he says, we, we. We know a thing or two about you, Jesus. You are a teacher who appears to have God's favour. That must be who you are. We've got you pegged, is how he begins his inquiry. No doubt that this conversation takes place at night, in the dark and stormy night. It was common practice for for conversations, for religious leaders to sit around and and think about and talk about weighty matters deep into the night. It's a tradition that still goes with our diaconate, but deep into the night they go. But John is also letting us know that for all his brilliance, for all the musings of this group, he holds this conversation with Jesus about who he is, about who they perceive him to be in, in blindness, in spiritual darkness. Night is one of, the, one of John's favourite metaphors uh, to describe the spiritual condition of a heart, the, the spiritual condition of a person before God. 
Nicodemus comes to Jesus to tell him how he fits into his religious worldview and how Jesus can come and help him and achieve his religious and social ambitions. And Jesus will have none of it. With one sentence, Jesus sweeps away everything that Nicodemus thought and had and believed and stood in, all his presuppositions about God. about how God would bless his people, about how God would restore his people, about what they thought a Messiah would be. Swept away in one sentence. It's not in your heritage. It's not in your religious diligence. It's not in your moral compliance, your ability to align yourself with the right people that deems whether or not you are fit for the kingdom of God. You are fit for God's blessing. And he's that, he's that saying, truly, truly. It's a very forceful lead-in that underscores the steadfastness and the certainty of what Jesus is saying. Truly, truly, unless one is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, what you long for, the favour of God, reconciliation with God, the kingdom of God in your life, is not achieved by better versions of what you already have, better ways of of what you already do things. It's achieved, I tell you, truly, truly, it's achieved by becoming a completely new person. You must be born again. Nicodemus, you, we don't need renewed institutions. We need new men and women. We don't need new laws. We need new lives. We don't need new creeds. We need new creatures. We don't need no new shifts of power, new political leaders. We need new people. What you need, even you, Nicodemus, the very best of Israel, is to be born again. You need to have your heart completely regenerated. You need the seed of all your motivations and all your actions to be profoundly and radically transformed to the extent that, in a way, you, you no longer recognise who you are. You are a new creature. And those around you would, would no longer recognise who you are. You are you, you've become different. Same you, but different. This gets this great mind thinking. It causes in Nicodemus exhilaration but also confrontation. Could, could, I, could I really have my heart, my whole history made new, even when I'm old? Nicodemus would be an old man. You don't get to be Israel's esteemed teacher without a few runs on the board. Could I, have, could I really have my motivations changed? Could I really know peace with God and not feel like I'm just on this endless rebuild, this endless reset? Could I, could I actually overcome a desire for sin and, and, and could all of its effects be, be overcome and reversed? It's sentence gone in my life. Could, could, that be, could, could that be true? It pushes Nicodemus to think internally. Oh, he is Israel's great teacher. No one, no one can best him theologically. No one can pray like him. No one can teach like him. Uh, But he knows his heart. 
He knows his heart. All of us, if we have lived long enough, and some of us are quicker off the mark than others, but all of us know our hearts. We, we, have, we know stuff about ourselves that we, we really don't want anyone to know about, that we wish we could erase, that we wish we could, we could have a new start for, a do-over, so to speak. We long, we long to be born again. And I'm not talking about, you know, that embarrassing time uh, when you preached with your fly down or that embarrassing time where you sent that text to your friend instead of your wife. I'm talking, you've done it. I'm talking about the slavish manifestations of the human heart that make up, that make up the motive, our motives that drive us to destruction and ruin. Things like, why? Why did I just belittle my wife like that? An act of defensive aggression and just put another scar into our relationship. Or, or why? Why? My, why, do I, why, do I, why do I play into my pride and lie or exaggerate about my involvement in a story or, or my inadequacy in a story, in a situation? Why can't I be authentic? Why did I cheat on my husband? Why did I lose my temper with my kids? Why am I enslaved to these scripts of my heart? I've tried self-help, I've read books, I've watched Oprah, now we're reduced to Ellen and Dr. Phil, white-knuckled self-determination. But there is in me a night, a dark and stormy night of the soul that I, I cannot cure with all of my goodness, with all of my moral behaviour and religious practice. It turns out that I need a new heart. The English poet Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote, Ah, for a man to arise in me that the man I am would cease to be. And Nicodemus agrees with this. I, I know, I know what you say is necessary. I know I need a new heart. But how? How is this possible? How can it be that someone old be born again? And he matches Jesus' metaphor with his own imagery, slightly uncomfortable, of, 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 of re-entering his mother's womb. But his point is this. He doesn't miss the metaphor. You don't, you don't get to be Israel's esteemed teacher without being able to spot a metaphor or two. And he understands that Jesus is talking about a new heart, a new creature, a new person. And what he says is, you go too far, you promise too much. A new birth, a new heart. No one has, no one has ever heard of such an idea. And no one had ever made such an outrageous claim. And right up to this moment in time, this phrase, born again, is unheard of. And as far as we can tell, Jesus actually invented it right then and there. First person to use it. Nevertheless, Jesus expects Nicodemus, with all his esteemed teaching, to understand what he's saying. After all, he is Israel's great teacher. And while the phrase is unprecedented, and while it's never been put in this kind of language before, all the ingredients for what it is to be born again, to, to have a new heart, to be recreated, if you like, are found in the Old Testament. So Jesus rephrases, uh, you must be born again, in some more kind of 
Old Testament language to help our learned scholar out. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. It means exactly the same thing, born again, born of water and spirit. The Old Testament prophets did not merely speak of the transformation of human history through social and political and religious environments. They spoke of a day when God would wash clean with water, people's sins. This is the imagery. They, they, they spoke of a day when God would pour out his spirit on them and enliven them with his spirit. Perhaps the most prominent part and what I think Jesus has in mind here is Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. I will wash you. I will deal with your sin. I will deal with that heart and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put on you and I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And then what follows this is Ezekiel 7, 37. Ezekiel's vision of the valley of dry bones in which the spirit, the wind, the breath of God's restoration comes over these dry bones and brings life to death. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rule. My Spirit will come and be put in you and it won't be a duty anymore. It won't be begrudgingness. It'll just be the deep-seated motivation of your heart to obey my rules and my laws and all my good commandments. It is to these promises that Jesus speaks of. He's just presented it with a new metaphor of birth. I'm not going too far, Nicodemus. I'm merely summarising the teaching, the longing of the Old Testament the deep heart change, the kind that deals with your sin, the effects of sin and how it grips the human heart is possible only through an external work of grace, of the grace of God through his spirit. And that when it comes, it radically changes who and how you are and brings a power of a new quality of life to you. Deep heart change right down in the seat of all your motivations right down in the in the wellspring of all your desires right down there things are regenerated and you become a new person you are born again not by any earthly activity not by any thing you do but by the external grace of god let me tell you how Nicodemus, his mind's just spinning and Jesus says, don't you see, don't you see, flesh gives birth to flesh like cats, they give birth to cats and and dogs give birth to dogs and, and broken people, sinful people just give birth to more broken and sinful people. Like gives birth to like, that's how it works. Nothing changes, nothing will change. The Bible is very clear that we are a perpetual generation of sinners. If you doubt that, read through through Genesis 5. Born, sinful, die. Born, sinful, die. Ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, 
We have been like this, lived in darkness, dark hearts. And they need life and light from a different source, from a totally different origin. What's in view here is not just the turning over of a leaf, not some kind of you know, white-knuckled New Year's resolution, but an entirely new nature, an entirely new species of person that comes about by the work of the Spirit of God. You do nothing. It's literally like being born. That's the process. It's not done by you. It's done by another. It's not done in your strength. It's not done in your power. It is the act of God that cleans you up, that enlivens you with power, that brings in you a new heart, a new motivation. When Jesus can hear the wheels spinning in Nicodemus' mind, how, how, how does this happen? What does this look like? Well, don't marvel at this, Nicodemus. Marvel at a God who is in the business of supernaturally transforming hearts. You can no more quantify and fully understand how God does this miraculous work in a person as if you could, as if you could understand the mysteries, the supernatural mysteries of God and explain them to people. It's kind of like, and you can imagine Jesus is talking, it's the dark and storm, the wind just whips past and, and blows the trees and blows up the dust around their feet. And Jesus says, oh, you see, you see how the dust, how the wind moves the dust and, and moves the trees. And you see and experience the wind here. So too, you will see and experience the regenerative work of God, the Spirit of God. You, you can't explain where it comes from. You just know God's behind it so too it will be in the regenerate heart. It will be undeniable. It's not just a possibility, Nicodemus. It's a coming reality. Nicodemus's mind is alive. He's desperate to know. In verse 11, he just simply says, how, how? He's been reduced. He came with a lot of banter. He came with a lot of talk. It's interesting as this progresses. Nicodemus says less and less and less and Jesus says more and more and more. And Nicodemus is thinking. Jesus' answer to this question takes Nicodemus back to what he came with, back to his presuppositions about who Jesus is. Nicodemus holds Jesus as a man of God, perhaps like you know, an old te- the Old Testament prophets, a great teacher. And Jesus says, actually, Nicodemus... What I have to say isn't the teachings of a great prophet, isn't the musings of a group of sages who might come and say, we we know a thing or two about you, Jesus. What I have to say comes from my first-hand experience of being in heaven with God. My authority on what is possible for the human heart comes from my relationship with God who has sent me from heaven into the world. Not to talk about eternal life and a new birth in some kind of academic sense, but to deliver new birth, to deliver new life. I am here to give this new life and I will do this by by, by being lifted up just as Moses was 
lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Jesus says, I have a divine identity, a divine authority, a knowledge and power. Divine knowledge and power. And I have come not to bring more laws. You just break them anyway. I haven't come to bring more practices. You you would just get bored with them anyway. What I have come to do is do for you what you can't do. I have come to represent you in death to be God's provision on your behalf. When Jesus says that the Son of Man must be lifted up, just as Moses has lifted up the serpent in the desert, this just captures powerful Old Testament imageries in the head of Nicodemus, imageries and stories that would be like nursery rhymes in the mind of this great teacher. The Son of Man is this divine, a heavenly figure who comes in Daniel 7, who comes with ultimate, unchallenged power and authority. But now he is framed in the terms of God's provision for sin that's captured in this image of a bronze snake fixed to a pole being lifted up in the desert above God's people. Are you familiar with the story? God's people have sinned against God and and, and so God has sent judgment and, this, and it comes in the form of snakes and so their bodies and their veins and their whole hearts pulse with poison and then God says, lift this snake up on a pole and those who would look upon it, those who would look to it in faith and understanding that this is God's provision, then they would be saved from the poison, from the death. It's powerful to the heart of Nicodemus. God sends his power and authority into the world through Jesus to be lifted up as a provision through which people might have their sin dealt with and find new life. This new birth, this eternal life does not come about by trying harder. It comes about by you believing that Jesus is God's provision for sin. New birth is grounded In Jesus' death. That's the illusion that Jesus makes here. Nicodemus, you must come to me and see me as a saviour. You can't come to me just as a good teacher, just as a moralist, just as someone who gives a new way of life. Unless you come to me in need, unless you come to me and see that I deal with your sin, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You can know nothing about it. Christianity begins with us coming to Jesus as our Saviour, whose work on the cross is the place place where he's lifted up, deals with our sin, is the place where our sin is, where we too are washed clean, our hearts are washed clean. It's the place where the means of eternal life, relationship with God is is made possible. You must believe that Jesus is more than a historic figure. You must believe that Jesus is more than a good teacher. You cannot fit Jesus into your way of life. You must come to Jesus as a saviour. You must be fitted into what he is doing in the world. And this morning as we, as we think about this, we don't know what happens to Nicodemus right now, but 
But we know that as the gospel moves forward, Nicodemus, this, this rich man, this rich intellectual leader, by the end of the gospel, comes and takes the body of Jesus and lays it in a tomb. So he's been thinking. And he comes to Jesus in a different light by the end of the gospel. I wonder this morning, as we come, Jenny's going to come up now and and lead us through communion. We just want to finish here on this note of of needing to come to Jesus as a saviour. And with that in our mind, we'll, we'll take communion.